hate the rich Neolibs are a bitch Medicare for all Bros can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Hello and welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I'm Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. Oh man, what a time to have a leftist feminist comedy podcast. (laughs) I was very upset yesterday uh, to learn that New York has just like fully canceled their Democratic primary uh, for president. Yeah. There's still a lot of people running, like even people we've had on the show, like Lauren Ashcraft and... uh, Lindsay Boylan and, you know, uh, Ferris Soufrant and Jabari Brisport. And, you know, there's a lot of great progressive candidates running in New York. New York DSA is strong. Uh, but, yeah, it definitely sucks. And I, like, went to, like, three states to campaign for Bernie. And, like, now I don't even get to vote for him because our primary system is so fucked up. Yep. It is. I mean, the only, yeah, the only sort of, like... Thing I was holding out for was being able to vote for him uh, in the primary to at least even after he had suspended his ca- campaign just to just to put a show of support in. But no more. I think it's like I shouldn't say it's so e- but it is so easy to vote by mail. That's why I just don't understand. Like there's there was no reason to fully cancel Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a depressed. It's just a depressed turnout for those other progressive candidates for those yeah. insurgent campaigns. Yes, because it's like the since the Bernie people, you know, won't necessarily be voting or they're trying to make us not vote anyway. Uh, there. The hope is that the down ballot like Bernie inspired candidates will get less votes. You know, um, I mean, it just know i mean it just sucks i don't know exactly how many states haven't gotten to vote yet but i mean there's a bunch you know a third I mean, at the time yeah i think at the time at the time bernie suspended it was like 20 maybe it was a lot yeah and certainly like the most a lot of the most populous states uh you know other than like california haven't gotten to vote yet either and a lot of the states that end up being very important in uh the general election like pennsylvania yeah yeah pennsylvania Um, has one of the latest primaries but yeah it's just i don't know it's pretty blatant uh what they're trying to do i mean people kept trying to blame bernie for the you know like oh you know he he's not suspending his campaign and then people are going to go out in the virus but i mean it's like there's still all of these down ballot Races. It's not like the election was canceled if Bernie wasn't in it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying I, I hope everyone votes by mail right now or, you know, yeah, if you can't vote by mail, it might not make sense to go out and vote. Honestly, like your your life and your family's life is is more important. But, you know, it's just like uh, uh, it's so frustrating. And Cuomo has just been on, you know, uh, various tears. Uh, he told um, a reporter who was asking him, you know, what should people do if they can't pay their rent right now? And he said, well, go get, go out and get a job as an essential worker, you know, like, 
I mean, like, you know, it's, aye, aye, aye. yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, you know, we need essential workers right now. Um, I mean, we're so lucky that people are willing to be essential workers, but let's be honest, nobody really probably wants to be risking their life in, uh, you know, for minimum wage right now. Yep. Uh, it's really, you know, I, I completely, everyone is, uh, Everyone is panicking for for good reason and has been since this all started because there is no reference point for what's going on here. But unfortunately, what we've seen in some more uh, some more libertarian conservative states is a push to open things back up prematurely. Um, Georgia being the first, they're like going back to opening up like movie theaters and restaurants and some businesses, you know, some owners have down there have said that they're not going to open up. But I think, um, yeah, this whole, the conflation of opening back up and like quote unquote freedom and liberation is so false. And we saw that like Elon Musk uh, has been calling to reopen the U.S. Yeah, uh, free America, didn't he just tweet? He did tweet. Um, uh, and to that I say, Elon, feel free to shoot yourself into space, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other space billionaire. Uh, uh, we hate a space billionaire. Yeah, I mean, it. so in, in Georgia and some of the other states that are doing this, I... I read the most about Georgia because they were the first. Uh, I mean, basically, this is just a ploy to kind of kick people off the unemployment rolls. It's, you know, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to be going to movies right now, but they opened these like really high contact businesses like, you know, Mm -hmm. hair salons um, and, uh, you know, bowling alleys and stuff so that, you know, the people, the, you know, lower paid employees that are, you know, on collecting unemployment, they have to kind of now decide like, okay, you know, do I want to risk my life or do I want to go back to work before it's safe? You know, and it's like Brian Kemp doesn't really care which they choose. It's just about, you know, making sure that they're off the rolls now. Uh, and uh yeah brian kemp for those of you uh those of you may remember that brian kemp was the um the former state secretary in georgia who in the state secretary kind of handles all the elections and everything like that and he uh famously stole the election from stacy abrams uh so yeah i mean so what's what's going on in a lot of these states is the fact that like I think that there are some some people, some uh, some wealthy conservative and centrist folks, but mostly conservative, who are mad that people, in a lot of cases, are getting more money on unemployment right now than they would have been paid at their federal minimum wage jobs. And these are this is in places where the federal and the state minimum wage are around the same and the federal minimum wage is 725 uh which is criminal um but yeah it's just you know people there's a lot of rich people who don't want to be inconvenienced anymore uh and i think that there have been so many 
there have been so many developments in the like wealthy people sphere in the last 20 or 30 years that so many services that have just made it so that wealthy people have been able to shelter themselves from ever being inconvenienced. And now this is something that they can't really control. So that's, uh, that's what you see a lot of times in, in developments like this, unfortunately. And then, uh, some people, you know, buy into the Fox News rhetoric that the fact that they can't go back to work or these things aren't opening up means that their their liberties are being infringed upon. Oh, man. You know what we didn't even talk about is Trump what? telling people to uh, the, <laughs> maybe bleach cures the coronavirus. Bleach injections. <laughs> bleach injections yeah. or putting ultraviolet light inside your lungs. I mean, and then someone did it. I think someone in, took in Georgia also someone or two people like drank disinfected yesterday. Um, yeah. God. Well, uh, good thing we live in the dumbest time in history. <laughs> can't oh boy it is yeah um it's like obviously (laughs) i mean i we don't need to tell any of our listeners not to drink bleach because that's they know it's like a child it's like if a child was like like it's like a three-year-old doctor that was like like some playing doctor that was like you know oh yeah we we could cure it by cleaning it you know like it's um the, do you remember how those people there used to be um all those like wellness gurus who said that like the cure to a lot of ail- ailments was like um aiming your vagina directly into the sun and like getting sun on your vagina no i feel like th- i feel like oh well <laughs> look it up <laughs> shailene woodley did it and it became all the rage and the weird like i feel like you would know about that that's really surprising to me not that you would do it but like i feel like that's in the that's in like the california getting wellness on your vagina wellness sphere i feel this feels like an even kookier version of that this feels like yeah this is the fox news version of that putting sun on your vagina yeah (laughs) it's uh yeah, it's really I don't know. I it, it feels like he's like testing his base the way that like cult leaders like test their uh the people in their cult, you know, like that Navixium guy that like made people get branded. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, it feels like that's what he's doing with the like drink the bleach thing, like how much do you love me kind of shit. Also, it's like, dude, do you want to kill your supporters before the general? Come on. <laughs> This is really sick, but I was thinking about it and I was like, what if all of Trump's supporters die because they drink the bleach? And I then, mean, that's not that's that's like something that a lot of people are thinking about right now. Yeah. It's, and it's not even just drinking the bleach just because a lot of them are like rearing to uh, to go back out there and be around other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was. Yes. And I mean, so in this. In this terrible alternate reality, all the Trump supporters are dead, but he still rules the rest of us. And so, the, the you know, there are, like, some, like, socialists left, but for the most part, it is, like, fully resistance libs. That is, <laughs> that's what the majority of the population is made up of. And, they, you know, the, the name for Trump now, it isn't even Trump. 
It's just that he's permanently referred to as like Cheeto in Chief, even in the I newspaper. That. That's so funny. Even um, in the newspaper, because that's the whole customer Cheeto base. Chief. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. Well, you know what? If I feel like it wouldn't be the worst world if like resistance libs were the most conservative people we had. Like if that was like one end of the spectrum and like socialists are like far left people on the other if like that was our political spectrum instead of what we have now which is like people trying to reopen the government and telling people to inject themselves with bleach maybe like i'll take it i'll take the um like the pussy hat resistance libs being our our tea party i guess the, if they I, were the yeah i feel like they've been kind of like <laughs> They, they've been getting a little tea party ish lately like uh i mean there was like kind of there was like widespread celebration that um you know trump or there was widespread celebration that you know new york canceled their uh presidential primary and then you know some of the things that people are saying about Tari, like sometimes women lie. I'm just saying it's some of the rhetoric has gotten into very Trumpy territory that I'm like, come on, you know, I, I sound like come Joe on, Biden. Folks. Come on, man. No, but come on, folks. Yeah. We're America. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, are we developing our our own uh <laughs> our own make are we are we trying to make America great again as well? I don't know. But yeah. Who's to say? Um, so anyways, how's your uh How's your core? Yeah, how's your core? It's the same. <laughs> it's, uh, um, yeah, I, it's very much the same. I'm just reading and working and, uh, doing my groceries once a week, doing, you know, I know that other people are able to go longer than that without doing groceries, but I am only one person and my, I have to like walk to um basically I I walk further so I can get groceries that are less expensive because the most like the closest grocery store to me is kind of expensive. So that's been I don't know. But I end up like walking miles and miles carrying really heavy bags which which sucks. I know people have it harder than me, obviously, but at times like these, I'm like, wow, it'd be extremely sick to have a car or to have some way of getting, transporting my, my goods. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky because there's like multiple grocery stores right near me. Not, not far away That's at all. Nice. So yes, but I don't know. I mean, there's part of me that's like been thinking like, do I want to live in New York? I haven't made no conclusions about it, but uh, it's well, yeah, you were saying you were saying this last time that you were uh, that you were like, you know, if you have to be if you have to be stuck somewhere. And I uh, think New York is going to be I think New York is going to likely have like the worst. The worst of the virus, you know, because of our density here. But I'm not sure. I kind of want to wait and see what happens a little bit because I love it. I love my apartment. Yeah. It's like my, I, have a, I have a modest apartment, but it's very cozy. And I've already spent a lot of time hanging things on the wall and I've never hung things on the wall before. So it's like if I can't just move and do it all again. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've 
I've been in this apartment for going on three years now, and I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. I have a pretty, like, it's really cheap. Like, I I live in, again, I, I like, as you can tell from my description of having to walk so far to get cheap groceries, I, like, I don't live in the most convenient neighborhood, but I really feel like I've made this place a home as much as I have anywhere Oh, so it's tough. It's tough out there. And I just for everyone listening, I, uh, yeah, my, I, I think about, I think about all of you and I think, uh, and we, Kate and I both get like DMS all the time and we, uh, we just want to want to say solidarity to all of you. Cause it's, uh, it's a really shitty and scary time right now. Um, but I, it's also like made me so grateful for, and this is so corny, but like, I've just been like, yesterday was such a nice day. And I was like, absolutely thrilled the whole day. I, it's just like, very small things make my entire day better now. Yeah, I haven't probably gone for enough walks. But yes, that's great. Um, What was I gonna ask you? Oh, yeah. Before we transition to our guest segment, what's going on with the housing stuff like it looks like we have no that it looks like i mean definitely no rent relief for may at this point is that mm-hmm. true i mean yeah for sure right uh yeah i mean it looks it looks that way as of right now that the bills to cancel rent uh have not passed in the legislature as of today unless they kind of at the 11th hour are able to pass them through. It looks like uh, we're recording this on the 29th. Um, I am, we've been talking about Kate and I've been talking about this for a while, but I'm probably going to try to get the housing justice for all coordinator, Sia Weaver on the podcast to give us, to give us more, more thorough update um, about the state of the, the housing fight. But I know that people are trying to organize a lot of people not only are trying to, but have successfully organized their buildings and have gone on are are in the process of going on uh, rent strikes because, you know, like 40 percent of New York is unemployed right now. Um, And yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who don't pay on May 1st. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's going to have to be they're going to have to figure something out because it's uh, and by they I mean, like the legislature and the powers that be here in New York Um, because it's just an untenable situation. But yeah, there's people who are doing a lot of hard work every day. I think there was uh, AOC had a town hall on like Facebook live last night and or two nights ago um, about housing as well. Her district is like one of the hardest hit in the country, uh, from this. And that has a lot to do obviously with like the socioeconomic status of, and the immigrant status of, of her district. The same thing people are, a lot of people are talking about, um, in, in Boston, in Chelsea, Chelsea has a very similar socioeconomic, uh, makeup and documentation status makeup. And it's the same thing there. It's the hardest hit. And I think, Again, everything that we've been talking about every week is that the uh, all the class and racial implications, all the existing structures and inequities that already existed uh, are really 
being laid bare by this and being heightened by this uh, this crisis. But people are still out there doing doing the good work, and um, that is kind of the only thing that keeps me keeps me going. That there are so many people who are are out there working hard. Well, we talked to one of them, uh, not in New York, but in Kentucky. I'm very excited about this week's episode. We had Charles Booker on, who was running for Mitch McConnell's Senate seat. And usually when you hear about someone running for Mitch McConnell's Senate seat, the person that is always named is Amy McGrath. But Amy McGrath is, uh, you know, what she she calls herself a pro-Trump Democrat. And Yikes! Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Charles Booker's really cool. You know, obviously really would fight hard for the people of Kentucky. So we hope you listen to this uh, interview. And he's, yeah, his, he's I was, great. He's so good. His, uh, his platform is incredible. He's pro-Medicare for all, pro-Green New Deal. Um, he's just, he's the real thing. And I was, Kate and I both were, were so inspired by this interview and, and what he had to say. And I, if you live in Kentucky, I'm jealous that you get to vote for him. Uh, so we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Reply, guys. We are so lucky this week to be joined by Charles Booker, who is running for Senate in Kentucky uh, for Mitch McConnell's seat. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you for having me. So often to be with you. What's it like right now in Kentucky? Um, well, it's very surreal. Uh, it's it's definitely a tough time for all of us, you know, making a lot of life adjustments. Um, I'm a type one diabetic. Uh, a lot of us have immunodeficiencies and it's been a, scary for all of us, but we're hanging tough. You know, it's what Kentuckians do. And, um, our governor has been crushing it. Um, you know, really putting politics aside and leading and, uh, it's been an honor to work with him in the legislature on getting relief out. So we're, we're hanging tough and hopefully we'll be able to flatten this curve pretty quickly and, you know, start making sure everyone gets their test and, and hopefully get a vaccine at some point, uh, the federal government. Oh yeah, I don't even I'm not even religious, but I've been praying for it every day. Yeah, there it's just a yeah, it's a it's a really, really wild time. Um, and we're so grateful that you could make time in your schedule to do the show. Um, would you start just by telling us a little bit about why you were inspired to run? Yeah, yeah. So I never thought I'd get into politics. Um, I sort of stumbled my way into it. I am a lifelong Kentuckian, and my, my family goes back several generations here. I've, I've had um, family members enslaved in Kentucky. Um, I've had family members lynched in Kentucky. My granddad fought for desegregation. And so I've, I've been told these stories about, you know, overcoming impossible odds and dealing with structural racism and all this stuff my whole life. And uh, I'm from the West End of Louisville which is one of the most segregated cities in the country still. And I live in the poorest zip code in Kentucky. Um, so it's not Appalachia. It's actually uh, in the West End of the state's biggest city. And um, I decided to get into politics because I was tired of seeing all my family suffer. Um, both my parents dropped out of high school. So I was on food stamps, free lunch all through school. And um, what really triggered it for me is I have two girls. If you follow me on social media at all, um, you'll see uh, every once in a while some dancing happening with with me, <laughs> me and my bosses. I have a sixth grader and a preschooler. And oh, my gosh. And, you know, the, the same struggles that um, 
my grandparents passed down to my my parents. My mom and dad um, fought too, but passed down to me. I'm trying to prevent having to hand down to them. And, you know, I got student debt. I don't think I'll ever pay off. And I've had four cousins murdered the last four years. And so this is really survival. And a lot of Kentuckians are at that point where we're fighting for survival, which is why we're going to beat Mitch McConnell. Yeah, I, um, I, I was tweeting the other day about uh, politics in Kentucky because, you know, I mean, as, as you are for sure aware, Amy McGrath has gotten so much attention from Hollywood, from, um, you know, like Pod Save America and a, a bunch of different sort of uh, liberal outlets um and you know people have really kind of um zoned in on her but when i asked like people from kentucky who do you like like your everyone was like posting your name um and uh i can just really hear in your campaign that like you're truly you know fighting for the issues that are going to make a difference for your constituents um i was wondering like what are some notable differences between your campaign uh, and Amy McGrath's campaign. And you can be as polite or not polite as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing you'll know about me is I, I always tell it very straight. And um, I think what you what you saw is, is very true, that on the ground, like the people of Kentucky, they're tired of BS. And I think the biggest difference in why we have so much support on the ground and also why we're going to win this primary in spite of what national media is Uh, catching up to just yet is that I've lived the story a lot of politicians talk about and Mitch McConnell doesn't give a damn about. And I'm not acting based off of polls. I'm not going to tell you one thing today and something else tomorrow. I'm not going to back down from issues like Medicare for all and saying no one should die because they don't have money in their pocket. And I'll tell you that because I nearly died because I don't have money in my pocket. And when you just talk from a place of authenticity and moral clarity We can talk about issues like a Green New Deal. We can talk about universal basic income. We can talk about structural racism in Kentucky and build coalitions. And um, it's been my work as a state legislator, passing bipartisan legislation. We had our own mini Donald Trump in Matt Bevin and still able to get bills passed with him in office. Um, I didn't go to the bill signing, um, but I have the pen. Uh, I got a bill passed. It was House Bill 64 last year for emergency prescription refills if you're insulin dependent like I am. And I worked with a Republican from East Kentucky and we got it passed together. And so and folks know that I've been on the front lines fighting for women's rights and reproductive justice and criminal justice reform. And they're they're tired of outsiders telling us that we don't matter, that our lives or challenges are irrelevant here. We're going to throw a lot of money at a candidate that no one knows about. We're not even going to talk to you all, Kentucky. Take this. This is what you deserve. And we're fed up with it. And it's killing us. Yeah, that's that's a big difference. Man, I was when I was uh, on your website reading about your campaign. It's so inspiring. Uh, My brother is a type one diabetic as well. And his uh, and he has been since he was five. And his uh, kind of life or death insulin dependency is like a big reason why I think uh, why I feel very personally connected to the cause of Medicare for all other than the fact that it's just like morally right Uh, (laughs) but right right um, I was so you are in the Kentucky General Assembly and you said um, you had mentioned 
um, your district. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the people in your district. Um, I know so often congressional districts are kind of reduced to the numbers, uh, but Mm -hmm. you are someone who seems like you have like really deep roots in your community. And um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could tell us about um, about who the people in your district are. Yeah. So um, my district um, and uh, most of my family is from the 43rd district, which I represent, um, is really, it's interesting. It's very gerrymandered, um, which makes it include the poorest zip code in the state where I live and some of the wealthiest. Um, and so it is one of those districts that has a majority minority. I, I really hate using those terms, but, um, it also covers a big part of downtown Louisville, which in a lot of ways is like the economic epicenter um, the face of our city, which is in many respects is the face of the state. And so it's a very important um, district for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know, as far as economically and just the social dynamics of it. And it really speaks to uh, the value of my candidacy for this U.S. Senate race as well, because my whole career has been about building coalitions and making it clear that we're all in this thing together Um no matter what you look like, where you're from, how much money you have in your pocket, you know, what pronoun you use, like we're all in this thing together. And um, it really inspired me to get out in the state. So, you know, I'm a young guy, so I'm the youngest uh, black state legislator, actually legislator of color um, in Kentucky since the very first one. So it's been about 90 years. Wow. And um, I'm typically the young person in every room I go in, uh, which... <laughs> which we got to change. That's kind of fun. You know, yeah. <laughs> it can be fun. I like to cause good trouble, but you know, we got to change that. We got to have more voices in the room. <laughs> We're going to do that. But um, I, I wanted to get out in the state because, you know, I made it clear. I'm, I represent the 43rd district, but I represent all of Kentucky. I'm not running as an urban candidate or a candidate for any particular group. I'm standing for all of us because structural racism doesn't really care about our colors. It uses that as a wedge to keep us divided. And we're all broke. And Mitch McConnell's laughing to the bank while we're all screwed. And um, that led me to work as I was a director of Fish and Wildlife, uh, which was awesome. A young black guy from the hood uh, working as director for the state's Department of Fish and Wildlife. And I went all over Kentucky um, talking to folks that don't look like me and probably never sat down across the table with someone quite like me. And we share our story, you know, and... I I was signing all the paychecks. So everyone had to, they had to talk to me. And when we did, we'd always see how much we have in common. And that's what this campaign is about. And I'm proud to represent Kentucky in the house of representatives. And it'll be the honor of my lifetime to get Mitch out and represent him in the Senate. Here's a thing that I find it really hard to understand. How does Mitch McConnell keep getting elected? He's so bad. Why is he (laughs) able to maintain his Senate seat? Universally, just, you know, a bipartisan issue. uh, People hate Mitch McConnell. I think the Republicans like him. Oh, oh, I want to set a ground floor here. None of us like Mitch McConnell. Like if you, yeah. you go out outside right now, you're in Kentucky, find me people. You're going to be hard pressed to find anyone in that group that likes this guy. Um, I think a lot mm-hmm. of the challenge is that he's an institution. Um, he was elected two weeks after I was born, and he has really Jesus. I, I know, right? So he's, he's been us <laughs> my entire life. Um, but he's like really built. He's built the party uh. into, within himself, and. 
you know, he's been able to use smoke screens and, you know, and there's a big conversation about, you know, Kentucky being subsidized. Um, that's a big conversation right now nationally. And I think what it's exposing is Mitch McConnell's been using Kentucky as a way to build his power, to pad his pockets, making these interests uh, connected with corporations, these big money groups. And we've been getting screwed the whole time. And people, honestly, you ask folks, one, we're one of the most disenfranchised states in the country. Like before this executive order, Governor Bashir uh, pushed through that was part of my legislation to restore voting rights. Um, it's hard to vote in Kentucky. And then, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what the hell's the point? Uh, they're all corrupt. And we know Mitch McConnell doesn't give a damn. And how does anything change? And I think our campaign, well, I know our campaign is the answer to that. Because the only way you beat someone that is so woven into all of our institutions and controls so much of the party and political structure is by inspiring regular people to take a stand and fight back. Because that's where the power really is. And we haven't seen our power. It's been criminalized away from us, robbed from us, extracted from us. And now we're taking it back. So, of course, we're going to beat Mitch McConnell. Of course we are. Because after that, we got a whole lot of work to do. And this isn't a partisan thing. So... I'm excited to be a part of this right now. I was uh, watching some kind of TV a few weeks ago and I saw an ad uh, for Amy McGrath and she was talking about in that ad as like a bonus point for her candidacy that she did not support Medicare for all. And I saw her tweet. I saw her tweet the same thing yesterday. And to me, it, you know, I have heard about, you know, big issues with people not having access to hospitals in rural areas in Kentucky and, you know, also just a lot of issues of people not being able to afford medical treatment like you were talking about a few minutes ago. And I was wondering, like, what is the mood around something like Medicare for all? Are people open to it or is this kind of anti Medicare for all stance that Amy McGrath has and obviously Mitch McConnell reflective of what constituents are looking for? So, first of all, for anyone that remotely knows anything about Kentucky to say um, before a national audience that they don't support everybody having health care, we're one of the sickest states. Uh, you go across yeah. any measurable index of good quality of life. We're near the bottom. And I mentioned that I've nearly died. I nearly died from diabetic ketoacidosis twice. You go, go find five people. Everybody knows somebody that's struggling from a health issue. And, and, and that was just another example of someone that doesn't know Kentucky, um, is not understanding what Kentuckians are dealing with and hasn't been on the front lines and is running a campaign that the DS is saying, all right, this is how we raise a lot of money against Mitch McConnell and we don't really care about Kentuckians. And um, the majority of Kentuckians support Medicare for all. And it's been that way. And the thing is, if you peel the politics back, so even going back to like the whole Obamacare uh, back and forth, you take Obama's name away, and we, we know what that's about. Uh, we take that away and talk about what it does. There's overwhelming support. So I worked for Congressman Yarmouth um, in his, on his campaign in 2010, and we ran on expanding health care and got a lot of Republican support because not being able to forge insulin is not a partisan thing. And so I, I'm proud to be the candidate running on Medicare for All. And I'm proud to have an incredible coalition of bipartisan support in doing it. 
we definitely hope you win. We are huge Medicare for all stands. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, no, I, yeah, I mean, Julia was talking about um, her brother and, you know, I also lost one really close to me last year because um, he could not afford healthcare in large part. I mean, that wasn't like the only reason, but that was a big part of the reason. Yeah. And you know, to me, it's amazing to see the Democratic Party take such a hard stance against Medicare for all and do these ridiculous things like expand COBRA coverage. You know, it's like paying insurance companies thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, yeah. probably millions once you get into all the people that are going to need it instead of just going with the obvious solution here. You know, I was wondering, like, how you could envision getting something like Medicare for all to finally pass if you were elected. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm, what I'm very confident in is that if we get the Grim Reaper out of the way, a lot of these policies, which a lot of folks will label as, oh, that's progressive or liberal, it's good public policy to make sure everyone's healthy. Healthcare is a right. It's good public policy to make sure everyone has quality care and access. And that means we're able to be gainfully employed because we can keep a job because we're healthy. It means we're prepared for a pandemic because we aren't already hanging on by three because we don't have health care. It's good for our economy. And if you look at healthcare holistically, and I even group gun violence in with that because that is a public health crisis, we're talking about public safety by keeping folks healthy. And so yeah. it really is about leveraging our coalition and coming into the Senate with a lot of wind behind our back because... Again, this isn't partisan in Kentucky. We're ready for it. We just need to get that big cog um, in the wheel out of the way. And my campaign has been about having faith to move mountains. Mitch McConnell is a mountain that we got to get out of the way. I love, I, oh I my love God. that. Yeah. We're, uh, Kate and I are both just like, hell yeah, every, everything you're saying. Um, yeah. This is so, it's just like, it's so exciting to talk to someone like you who is uh, running for office. And we talk to a lot of candidates um, but we, we haven't had a lot of people who are running in a primary. Um, the only, the only other, other person who, who comes to mind, who is, who is running in a primary, similarly, a very gerrymandered district is, uh, Lindsay Boylan, who is running against, mm -hmm. uh, Jerry Nadler, uh, and who's like another kind of establishment institution. Um, but in terms of the fact that like you're not running against an incumbent in your primary, you're running against someone who was kind of handpicked by the DNC um, to kind of be the person to go up against Mitch McConnell. And as you've alluded to, I think it's very difficult to make the case for against an establishment politician with another establishment figure or someone who has been kind of propped up and just thrown all sorts of money who isn't really offering anything new or anything better yeah. for Kentuckians. Um, and I think a lot of people see uh, Amy McGrath, and she does like aesthetically check a lot of the boxes, especially in her, um, you know, her her service in the military, and she's a woman, and you know, we love women running for office, but n not all <laughs> we women. Need, we need way more women. Um, we need way more women in office women. for sure. But hashtag yes. I second that hashtag. I know, but maybe <laughs> not this one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
so I think it, it like to me someone like Amy McGrath almost looks like she was like created in a lab to be like the resistance candidate to go up against Mitch McConnell even though she's said a lot of things about that haven't been exactly critical of President Trump and she said a lot of a lot of things that have given e- even some of her former and current backers pause about um about him but i guess the point that i'm getting at is Amy McGrath was selected because yeah. of this idea of electability and um i think we've seen that traditional ideas of electability are inherently flawed and uh the powers that be in the democratic party uh don't exactly have a good picker in terms of being able to (laughs) to identify who's going to win and who's not um so i just i i wanted to ask you about that and about what what that concept means to you and why is it wrong Yeah, well, I, first of all, it sort of it means that we aren't learning anything, and mm-hmm. our blind spots to structural inequity and structural racism are just still really glaring, and it's crippling us, and it's really robbing us of the chance to have the future we deserve. And you know, it's it's interesting that in this primary, I'm essentially running against a manufactured incumbent because um, mm-hmm. this is someone that hasn't been on the front lines in Kentucky. No one knew this person with respect to any issues, whereas I've been marching in the streets with Sunrise. I've been fighting with Planned Parenthood to protect reproductive justice and reproductive health. I've stood on the tracks with minors trying to protect them and help them get uh, access to care, dealing with black lung, helping small farmers compete in the commercial market. Like This is the work that I've been doing because I really am committed to tearing down structural inequity. And I'm running against essentially the Mitch McConnell playbook in the primary. Um, throw a lot of money, don't talk about issues, say what you think needs to be said, and turn down your opponent. And um, it's it's disheartening that we still have to um, like compete against that even within our own party. Um, and we're supposed to be the party that is elevating the voices of all people, um, that we're really about structural change, and we want to fight against poverty. And we're really exposing that you know, a lot of that has been cute talk, um, but it's fallen on, you know, deaf ears in many respects. And um, that's the big reason why I'm proud to be running this, because electability shouldn't be defined by how much money you have or what color your skin is or what zip code you're from or what pronouns you use. And the only way that changes is if regular people fight back. And um, I'm a regular guy from 35th and Market. I don't come from money. I'm still trying to keep my lights on and put food on my the table for my girls and, you know, figure out how I'm going to pay down student debt, which, like I said, I, I doubt I ever pay off. And um, there are still times I can't afford my insulin. All, all of these things that we just fight to overcome, that if we can show that we can win, if we stand together, uh, we'll see folks stand up at the local and state level um, in their school boards, in their communities. And that's the real change. And so, Um, I'm proud to prove those uh, outsiders wrong. I'm proud to prove the DS wrong. Maybe they'll listen more. Um, I think we're trying to help save democracy in some respects because 
Um, a lot of us don't get hurt and they seem fine with that. And um, we're not because we're dying from it. Um, so I think one thing that is some great news, though, is in the face of all that, I've gotten a lot of support. You know, we, we had a strong quarter. Um, you know, there's some historical amounts of money being raised or her store, amounts of money being raised. <laughs> and we've been able to build some real infrastructure in the face of that because people know it's all BS. And so, you know, mm-hmm. Sunrise Movement jumping out from the beginning. Kentucky is for the Commonwealth, which is a big organization of just regular folks that are against structural inequity um, and, and fighting against climate change and uh, voter restor- uh, restoration and demand universal health care, income movement, big UBI-led uh, leaders across the country. Like, we've really been plowing some ground, uh, so to speak, and I'm proud of the work we're doing. I love doing this podcast because I get to talk to such cool people like you who are yeah. really, you know, running because you care about making a difference, you know, not just for your own community, but for everyone, you know, and I, I think in the past one, maybe like two years, I really realized for the first time, the extent to which the Democratic Party is actually trying to crush candidates who want to do that. um, And just kind of realizing all of the different ways that happens, not only through funding, but through uh, the blacklist for vendors that have ever worked with uh you know someone who's challenging an incumbent are you subject to that even though amy mcgrath is not an incumbent oh yeah we i see all of that um there was a recent article uh that was written about how uh candidates that are progressive that are trying to challenge uh the establishment get blocked in a lot of ways i'm seeing all of that um and like i said it, it is disheartening but it's also encouraging to see folks that are saying, wait a minute, we're not we're not going to be shut down or silenced anymore because we know that doesn't work. Um, and yeah, you can be a young black man in Kentucky standing up against structural racism, push for Medicare for all and be the definition of electability. Uh, I think we're, we're flipping all that on its ear. And uh, I think this is part of blazing a trail. And this is what we've seen throughout history. So I'm proud to do my part. That's so that's so great. And um, you had mentioned at the top of the show that you have been working with the governor of Kentucky, that's Andy Bashir, mm-hmm. um, and y- that you had been kind of impressed with his response, um, I think in the absence of action from the federal gov- government, um, a lot of us have had to rely on, on our governors uh, yeah. for the response to this crisis. Um, what kind of relief have you been working with Governor Bashir on? Yeah, yeah, I really do want to give him a lot of credit um, because we're dealing with really scary times and he found a way to have the right type of poise and really cut through the political BS and say, we got to stand together. And so in the legislature, we've been working with him, one, to really help protect our teachers and public education in general, give them more flexibility because um, that's one thing that is, is really tough. So, you know, the, our students aren't going back to school, um, which means my sixth grade and preschooler are, are at home uh, for the duration of the school year. And, um, you know, it's been tough on teachers being able to have the flexibility and the resources. Um, and so we've been working with him on that. Um, we've also been really helping to do the work we should have already been doing is making it easier to access unemployment um, and health benefits and really taking down some of those barriers that block people out, um, making it easier to apply, taking away the waiting period, 
taking away the work requirements, which we shouldn't have had to begin with. And right. um, he's being very responsive. So that that's the big thing. And uh, when there were questions being raised about how this is disproportionately impacting uh, poor communities, uh, black community, communities of color, he took on that challenge of saying, we're going to be transparent and we're going to dig into how we help make things better for communities that were already suffering. And so he's, he's leading by example in a lot of ways. And I wish Donald Trump would take some notes, but um, he's too busy injecting <laughs> Lysol or sun rays or something. Yeah, boy. Don't, don't uh, do that, by the way. Do not. Don't. Do yeah. 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 That's the soundbite from this podcast. Do not inject yourself with bleach. And for every podcast that we record uh, so far, I... You know, I know that the fossil fuel industry has, you know, a huge hold in Kentucky. Yeah. And one of the things you're running on is the Green New Deal. Um, how is it possible to defeat the influence of the fossil fuel industry in Kentucky? Yeah, yeah. The only way you do it is with people. I mean, the only way we do this is by folks taking a stand. And we're going to do it because so many folks have their back against the wall that we don't really have a choice. Um and, you know, for communities like mine that have been suffering, you know, for generations, you know, we've been yelling out. And if you go listen to people in East Kentucky, they've been yelling for a long time. They knew the cold jobs were leaving. They knew they weren't coming back. They've been fighting with all types of illnesses in their communities, high utility costs and lack of access to water. And if they do have it, it's orange or brown if it comes out of the faucet at all. And so when you talk to folks, because people say, well, how do you run on a Green New Deal in Kentucky? listen to Kentuckians. That's how. And, you yeah. know, in fact, we say we want a Kentucky New Deal because we want to lead on it. You know, we're in a lot of ways the epicenter of all the ills of the fossil fuel industry have just like pounded on Kentucky. And, you know, our fight now is saying that folks are being stranded on the tracks. Those miners, are, their jobs, their livelihood was ripped away from them. What do we do to protect them? How do we make sure our children aren't breathing dirty air, drinking dirty water, living around brownfields. And the Green New Deal really speaks to that in a holistic way. And I think when you peel the politics back and say, all right, I'm talking about a Green New Deal, not because some outsiders told me or because some poll told me I should say this. I'm speaking up for it because I'm speaking up for you and I'm here to fight for you. And here's what I believe in. And every time you do that, Kentuckians are like, yeah, this is what we want. We did a Green New Deal tour in Eastern Kentucky and a lot of Trump supporters are fired up Go figure. And like I said, the national, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to tell you more about that because the national media is not covering this, but we're going to lead on these issues. Please do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, definitely the, the, you know, I remember like immediately after the 2016 election, um, you, you know, just states in the South, um, in the, in the Appalachian region, were just really portrayed as just, like, you know, Trump country was the phrase that kept being used over and over again. Specifically, even coal miners in Kentucky yeah. were uh, continually invoked, although I don't think we very much we didn't really hear from a lot of coal miners in Kentucky. Nope. It was always kind of like a, a justification yeah. uh, from people who were not coal miners in Kentucky. And, you know, what do you what do you feel like the. um the stereotype misses about what people believe in or want or need. Yeah. yeah I think it, it misses us. Um, the stereotype stereotype is based on a perception that doesn't see our humanity. Uh, of course I, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, 
I, I, Wait, what? I very, oh no! I very clearly saw his racism. I saw his lies. I am not a pro-Trump Democrat. Who in the world would ever say that? Um, that's oh also gosh. what I'm running against. That's wild. Um, but you know, the thing that I've seen, and and we knew Trump was going to win. Um, we knew it in the black community. Um, you go across Kentucky, people could tell. And one of the big things is he called out that the system is broken. And look, if mm-hmm. you like just take away all the other inflammatory, horrible, horrible things about this guy, he built a campaign on calling out the system being broken. Um, now, on the back end, he was selling snake oil and he was actually helping to manipulate the fact that the system is broken. And he was telling these folks he was going to give them their jobs back. And meanwhile, they're feeling demonized and talked at and preached at and disrespected. He was saying, you know what, I'm going to get you your jobs back. And for them, Mm -hmm. they're like, you know what? I don't like this guy. I don't like how he talks, but I need to take care of my family. So what do I do? And it's not even about Republican or Democrat in Kentucky. Besides the wedge issues that get like weaponized a lot, which takes courageous leadership to push back on that, which that's what I'm proud to do. um, It really is understanding that populism, like talking to regular folks and saying that we're not going to leave you behind. And we're not going to play the status quo is really what Kentuckians are most concerned about. Um, They don't trust establishment because they know they get screwed by the establishment. And Mitch McConnell, a lot of folks are afraid of him and they don't expect him to go away because he's always been there. But other than that, they can't stand him either. And so if you take lessons from what Trump and Matt Bevin did in some respects in calling out the system being broken, but don't just screw people respond by saying, now, here's how we fix it together. Um, That's what this campaign is doing. And that's why we're getting a lot of support, even from folks that have voted for Trump. And what I'm telling you is that there could very well be people in Kentucky that would vote for Trump this year that would vote for me. Now, we're going to be working. We're going to be working on them because, look, we got to get Trump out of there. And, you know, I I mean, folks have blind spots. We all have lived experiences and you got to understand where people are coming from and respect them for where they are. Uh, But I think if we don't ignore what Bernie Sanders was talking about, if we don't ignore the structural challenges, we can make sure we get rid of Trump. Um, But if we do that and we don't get rid of Mitch McConnell, a lot of problems are still going to remain because he's the orchestrator of all this shit. Right. That's completely true. And to your point about, um, the Trump supporters that you spoke with who, you know, when you explained it to them, like energetically uh, support something like a Green New Deal, that goes back to exactly what you were talking about in terms of it's just good public policy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's a lot of the like small town public policy that are. Uh, a lot of our our communities are alleged to be built on, which is like access to clean air, clean water, a lot of things that people just take people in more affluent places just like completely take for granted. But I think that when you distill these issues, like, again, like just having a, a a planet for ourselves and our children and our children's children to live on, uh, it's common sense. And it's, uh, and it's something that, that you do see it's, uh, it isn't, it isn't a partisan issue and i think that's the power of of populism and exactly to your point uh yeah donald trump was selling a kind of like 
fascist populism and uh he was he did campaign on saying drain the swamp i'm gonna bring jobs back all these things that people wanted to hear while of course lining his own pockets and like being the most corrupt person in the history of the world (laughs) but um but we didn't have a good answer for that in in 2016 we were offering he was saying drain the swamp and we ran a candidate who was unfortunately bogged down with a lot of baggage and who was seen as the establishment. Um, So I think that that's what we need to, to speak to people's material needs. And I, because at the end of the day, that is, that's what allows you to speak to people who otherwise, you know, because of these wedge issues, you wouldn't think would be able to support the things that you support. But people's material needs are at the end of the day, what they vote for a lot of the time. Kitchen table issues. And, you know, even, even when you think about Trump and how he was talking, and we knew, a lot of us knew he was he was BSing. Um, no mm-hmm. one else came to Kentucky to say anything different. At the national, we're, we're always written off. And if no one even comes to your community to say anything else, and if you do hear something, it's them demeaning you or dismissing you, um, a lot of folks didn't feel like they had a choice. And I'm running now to give folks a clear message. We have a choice in this primary. We don't have to do the same thing again. And definitely in this general, we don't have to accept Trump or Mitch McConnell. We can do better. We really can. And the messages resonate. It seems so obvious to me that somebody who is actually going to do things to help people uh, is more electable than somebody (laughs) who isn't. what, what do you think prevents the Democratic Party from getting this message? I mean, I, I, I wonder, like, are they really philosophically stuck in the idea that centrism is what's electable or is it all corporate influence? I don't know. I think about this a lot because to me, it feels like they just want to lose. Yeah, I think there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of corporate influence. And, and I think there's a lot of the fact that there aren't enough voices in the room that that are connected mm-hmm. to these challenges in a real way. And, you know, that's why I'm in support of term limits. And I think when you become a part of the political apparatus and you lose connection to the people that are struggling and you lose a sense of connectivity to those struggles, you can start to reinforce a status quo that is dismissing all this stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this isn't new. I mean, history shows that, And that's why we've had the civil rights movement. That's why we have movements throughout our history. And we need a movement right now. And so, you know, my message to this campaign has been very simple. You beat Mitch McConnell by inspiring a movement. And it's already happening. Like the teachers organizing in Kentucky, shutting stuff down like never before. Minors that have been coming out in protest and organizing. Uh, I mean, student leaders are just getting loud and, and making it clear that they're not going to be ignored. We're doing it. And um, my hope now and being on uh, platforms like this is that more people will be able to see that Kentuckians are fighting back and um, don't keep supporting a status quo that's killing us. And I'm, I'm confident that we'll get this done and um, proud to connect with folks like you all in this fight, too. We're locked arms. I, I'm telling everybody, yeah. you may not be in Kentucky, but we are locked arms with you all to get rid of this guy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, even if I was in Kentucky right now, we would not be able to uh, literally lock arms yes, because yes. of the coronavirus. Airlock. 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 Airlock arms. How can people plug in and get involved with your campaign uh, 
right now? Yeah, well, well let me tell you what we're doing. So um, this campaign for me was all about like elevating the voices of people. Like that's my message, inspiring the movement, elevating the voices of people. And one of the things we were doing from the beginning is building tools within the campaign to like break down the barriers of like campaign structure because it's intimidating. Um, there are folks like, I don't do politics. I wouldn't get involved in the campaign, but they care about issues. And uh, we were already working on ways to create like ambassadorships so folks could organize in their communities. And okay, you may not want to come into a campaign office, but you know 20 people and you care about those 20 people. Here's what you can talk to them about. Here's how you can send them information. Maybe on these days you can organize calls where they call 20 people they know. And so we have over 300 people, volunteers uh, this month doing those types of things. And it's been inspiring because some of these folks, it's their first time getting involved in politics. And, you know, while folks are saying, oh, we've raised all these dollars, we're inspiring people to get into the process. And big picture, that's what you got to be doing. And um, I'm, I'm honored to to help sort of shake up the norm. And I've always been a good troublemaker and, and you know, getting more voices in the room and saying you don't have to be perfect. You uh, Even if you have challenges and struggles that you're facing your voice matters and here's how you can make a difference and be accounted for and people are fired up i mean we're dealing with a pandemic which is so tough because you know we can't be out and knocking on doors and having events and everything but to see folks regularly checking in becoming digital organizers and just crushing it um gives me so much hope because i didn't know what to expect um I was already going to do this stuff before the pandemic. And now that it's hitting, like everybody's trying to figure out ways to do it, which is also awesome because hopefully that means more people are getting involved across the country. Um, but we've been leaning into it and they've responded with some some fire in their belly. So, uh, yeah, I would love it if if you want to get involved in getting rid of Mitch McConnell. That absolutely sells itself. Um, this is the campaign to do it. And this is the time to do it. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, social media handles, where can people follow you online? Yes, uh, Booker, the number four KY, are all my handles for Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'll do some TikTok dance videos with my daughters every once in a while. <laughs> so Booker, the number four KY, and then my website, which is actually behind my head, is uh, Booker4Kentucky.com, spelled all the way out. Um, we have tutorials, trainings, everything online to where if you want to organize in any way you feel comfortable doing, you can get it done with this campaign. So thank you for your support. And let's lock arms. Let's airlock. Get this done. Yeah. Yes. We, you know, I know this is a podcast, but we are uh, miming airlocking our arms right now. For, <laughs> we're doing, for those we're doing who can't a visual see. bit for the listeners yeah. at home. Charles, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I'm so inspired by your campaign and... Uh, everyone should, if you if you don't live in Kentucky, uh, th- throws campaign some money. Uh, I know I'm certainly going to after this. I yeah, I'm I'm so excited for your campaign, and I, I wish you all the best. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the the work you all do.
Thank you so much for listening to Reply, guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Uh, the show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at OJuliaTweets, O-H julia tweets and twitter is where you can also find our reply guys they are always with us bernie take us out as i went walking that ribbon of highway i saw above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is your land.